You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, brought to you by Vessi's Seeds. And today I'm going to talk about solving problems in the garden. Uh, and I'm just me out in the woods today. Uh, I'm kind of hiding in the woods because it's been raining for the last couple of weeks. It just won't stop raining. It's unbelievable. And not just like a little bit of rain, like every day it's like overcast like this all day. And then at various parts of the day, which just seem to be completely random, it pours like you wouldn't believe. So it's so crazy when you think just a few weeks ago, the whole place was on fire. There was fires everywhere. I thought I was going to lose my house. Um, you know, and, and now that would be impossible pretty much. We have had so much rain. It's just unbelievable. Um, so to the extent that I'm not getting any sun, you know, and we need the sun to show up. So I mean, plants need water, but they also need sun, right? Um, anyway, this, this episode today is addressing a phenomenon I observe a lot on social media, uh, both personally, because people ask me a lot of questions, but also just what I observe in places like Facebook and that sort of thing, um, where people have some problem in their garden. You know, my tomato leaves are turning yellow. What's wrong, right? And what they typically do is, I mean, there's a, a number of things people do when they've got a garden problem. In my opinion, they're all the wrong things to do, okay? Because the results are not reliable. So one thing a lot of people will do is they'll go on a gardening group on Facebook and they'll ask that question, you know, my tomato leaves are turning yellow, what's wrong? And they'll get like a dozen opinions <laughs> on what to do. Um, and then they'll, they'll listen to the one that, that sounds good to them or maybe is the easiest or feels the right, feels the rightest. And they'll do that thing and either the tomatoes will get better or they'll just die. Um, um, so the problem with that approach is that either every person's answer is based on a specific thing that happened in their specific garden and a solution they found that worked for that specific thing, which might not be the same thing going on in your garden. There's lots of reasons, for instance, tomato leaves can turn yellow. Um, or they're telling you something they heard someone say, and they have no idea if it's true or not. They just want to sound like an expert, right? <laughs> So, or it's a person that's, uh, you know, got an opinion about everything. And a lot of these garden groups, it, someone will say, I'm a master gardener, so I know everything. It's like, well, do you grow a lot of tomatoes? Like, do you have a, a you know, like there's a lot of master gardeners that just grow ornamentals. They have no experience with vegetables at all, right? So it's a question of like, how valuable is your experience? Where are you coming from? That sort of thing, right? So, or they're just making it all up. <laughs> They're not a master gardener. They're just saying that, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a whole range of kinds of people that offer opinions on Facebook groups. And the advice you're getting is just completely unreliable from that source. All right. Another thing they might do is uh, just Google it and come up with the first answer Google gives. You know, because you can Google something on your phone and it'll just pop up. It won't even go to a website. It'll just sort of give you an answer. Again, does, is that answer specific to your problem? If someone asks me, my tomato leaves are yellow, what should I do? I'm like, well, why are they yellow? <laughs> What's going on? I'd have to come to your garden and have a look. And even then I might not even be sure because there's a lot of reasons tomato leaves can turn yellow. Um, I'm just using this as an example. This, this episode is not about tomato leaves turning yellow. It's just a good one because there's so many reasons why it could be, you could have too much fertilizer, not enough fertilizer, too much water, not enough water, some kind of disease, some kind of fungus, some kind of pest. There's all kinds of reasons why that can happen, right? Um, 
Another thing they might do is they ask Siri or Alexa or ChatGPT. <laughs> you know, if they're if they're if they're uh, comfortable giving ChatGPT their their phone number and their email address. Um, again, how thoughtful of an answer is that? They're just, I mean, they're they're taking the words you're giving them these algorithms. And they're coming up with the answer that seems to be most likely the answer to the words you've given them. But what haven't you told them? They need to ask you follow-up questions. What about this? What about that? Is it in a raised bed? Is it below ground? How often do you water it? What kind of soil do you have? What kind of tomato is it? What variety is it? Where do you live? How cold is it? When did you transplant them? Did you start them from seed? Like, it's not, like to answer the question, you have to ask more. Right? But an algorithm will just give you an answer based on your question. So unless it's the most amazingly formulated question with every possible detail that's needed to provide a proper answer, you're probably not going to get a good answer. <laughs> All right? And then, of course, there's asking your friend, your neighbor, your relative. Um, that's pretty much analogous to the Facebook approach. You're asking some person and they're going to tell you something they heard or something they tried once that worked once. Right? And it might be good advice, it might not be good advice. Oh, one thing I didn't mention was asking a guru, right? I also think that's bad advice. So at the very beginning, I was running through, you know, ask a Facebook group, Google, Siri, friend, relative, asking a guru, you know, sending a message to someone like, I don't consider myself a guru. I think I even did a podcast once saying I'm not a guru. But many people that get into this thing, podcast, Facebook, that's their goal because it's lucrative, right? They can make a lot of money being a guru. Um, I think that's the last thing you should do is ask a guru. They, they might, it's, it's the same thing as the friend, the relative, or the person in the Facebook group, right? You don't know what their motivations are. You don't know how much they actually know. They tend to inflate their bona fides and, and credentials and stuff like that. Um, they might be giving you advice. They might be giving you useless advice, right? They might be trapped in some... Um, some syllogism, like they have one way of gardening and they can only, like all their answers come from that methodology and sometimes that can give you terrible solutions to problems. Um, so the guru thing is not the way to go. Also, there's the whole phenomenon of um, post hoc ergo propter hoc, which I did a podcast on this years and years ago, probably the least downloaded audio podcast I've ever done because of the title, because who wants to listen to a garden guy talk about some Latin phrase? Um, but what that is, is making a conclusion based on a set of observations, uh, based on a flawed application of logic. So post hoc ergo propter hoc means after this, before there, after this, therefore, because of this. Okay. Meaning this happened after that happened. So that must be the cause of this. Okay, so I ate ice cream, and then I got the flu, so ice cream caused me to get the flu. That doesn't make any sense at all. We all know that ice cream doesn't cause the flu. I guess, I guess if you'd shared ice cream with someone who has the flu, right, that might be the cause, right? But it's the other person that gave you the flu that you licked their ice cream, right? Um, so a lot of people, they will do something in their garden, and then something else will happen, and they'll think the thing they did was the reason for the result. But it might be that the problem just resolved itself on its own. The plant just got better on its own. You think about all these different things you can buy over the counter. 
in a drugstore, you know, A535 or, you know, this rub or that sort of thing for paint. I mean, I have a sort of long history as a typical tall person with some really bad injuries in my teen years, uh, back problems. I do a bunch of exercise to maintain it. That's, that's the best thing I've found. Um, but whenever I get, you know, I hurt myself, but usually by doing something stupid or making some sort of mistake, um, lifting up something I think is light that turns out to be heavy, <laughs> and I find that, and then back goes, right? Um, so I know from years, I mean, I'm just talking about me, right? But <laughs> I know that unless it's really, 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 really bad, it's just what I call normal back pain, and it'll get better in a week or two weeks or six weeks, right? And you go see a doctor, they say, you know, take an, um, an anti-inflammatory, ibuprofen, you know, Advil, and take it easy, you know, keep, maintain your range of motion, keep moving, and, uh, you know, see if it should go away, right? Um, so I'll have people at work say, I should get acupuncture, I should use this rub, I should use that rub, I should do this thing, I should do that thing. Um, but it always goes away, <laughs> at least so far, right? Meaning, I'm not saying all back pain goes away, I'm not talking about the injuries I've had. These are all just minor flare-ups, inflammation from working a muscle too hard, you know, causing a slight tear or something like that. The body, my body, heals itself over time. I'm sure there's some things I could use that would slightly accelerate that healing, right? Um, but there's all kinds, I mean, I could put on a magic bracelet and then my back gets better in two weeks and I think, oh, it's the magic bracelet that made my back better, right? Or I could drink a special concoction and then two weeks later my back gets better. And I think, oh, well, every time I get a bad back, I should drink this special concoction, you know, raw eggs and bananas or something like that, right? Because <laughs> the last time I drank that, my back got better. But what I'm not doing is a properly set up study, right, with experimental controls where I'm establishing that the back's just getting better on it. If I didn't do anything, the back would get better. All right, I'm getting off on a diatribe here, but I'm trying to make a point. My point is that the advice you're getting from your friend, your neighbor, your relative could be very good advice that either just by sheer chance happens to be the exact, solving the exact same problem you have. <clears throat> or it's advice from a wealth of experience, knowledge, inquiry, experimentation, observation, thought, contemplation, application of logic, right? That sort of thing. Or it's just something they heard or something they, like you know, someone told them that they're telling you with a kind of, uh, you know, air of authority that makes it sound like they know what they're talking about, which a lot of people do. Um, some people just like, like being the people that have the answers. It could be bad advice, right? It, it seems rare to me, but I mean, my often, my knee-jerk reaction whenever people ask me a question on Facebook or social media or in a comment in a YouTube video or whatever, my knee-jerk reaction is, I don't know. <laughs> That's usually what I'm, I don't, I don't know, right? It could, there's lots of reasons. I don't even know your situation and there's lots of reasons why you're having that problem. And, or I just don't know enough about that thing, right? I'm, I'm good at doing what I'm doing and I've been able to solve most of the problems I've had unique to me, you have the same problem I have, maybe I can help you, but I don't even know if you have the same problem I have, right? So my knee-jerk reaction is often to say, I don't know, <laughs> right? In my head anyway, you know, I'll try to find an answer. Usually I'll direct them to something to read. Now, I'm gonna tell you my approach to solving problems. And I'm gonna start by telling you a, a, a kind of a story, which is gonna sound like it has nothing to do with gardening. 
Um, but I think it does because it, it's, it characterizes my approach to not just gardening, but just about anything. <laughs> okay. It characterizes where the starting point should be. So years and years and years ago, you know, uh, I graduated from high school in 1990. I went to university um, in computer science and I failed everything and flunked out, left university. Uh, I went to university with the opinion that I could, I could do what I was doing in high school and that that would work. Mainly skipping classes, not doing homework and just showing up for exams and getting B pluses without doing any work because that seemed to work in high school and a lot of classes did not work in university. <laughs> those people fail, <laughs> right? So I was one of those. Um, so I spent two years doing unskilled manual labor uh, in various, you know, hard, dirty, construction-like industry jobs. All, you know, basically my job was to pick things up and move them, scrape things, clean things, Dirty, hard, physical work. Dusty, you know, removing asbestos, removing insulation from flooded attics and crazy things like that, right? So, not fun. And uh, after a couple of years, a friend of mine said, you know, Greg, you've been out of university for two years, you've been out of high school for two years, you qualify to be a mature student. You can get a student loan and go back to university. The whole thing will be paid for by the loan. I didn't quite understand that I had to pay the loan back. I mean, I, I kind of understood that when in your 20s, you're kind of dumb like that. So I said, I can just go to a government building and fill out, give, you know, write some stuff on a piece of paper and they'll pay my tuition and give me some money. This, <laughs> what's the downside, right? So I went to university. Now, this would have been 1992. Back then, there was, I mean, there was, there was an internet, but it wasn't like it is today. Um, so when you were signing up for university, you didn't go online and do all that sort of stuff. You, you actually had to go to the campus. You had to line up and wait to get in a gymnasium. In the gymnasium, they'd have all these tables set up with professors sitting at those tables. And those professors would fill out a piece. Everything was done on paper. They would fill out a piece of paper. They would help you, guide you in choosing your courses. So I, it's my turn. I, after waiting you know, about an hour in a big lineup, I finally got to sit, sit with this guy, this old man with a big white beard. He looked like someone from Harry Potter, Potter or Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, that sort of thing. Look at a wise old man, right? Um, and uh, with a suit on, it was a British accent. Okay, so literally like someone from Harry Potter or J.R. Tolkien. Um, and I sit down and uh, he says, okay, why are you here? And I said, I, I'm doing my, I don't want to be poor. All the jobs I have suck. Everybody talks to me like I'm stupid. I don't think I'm stupid. I think, I don't really know why. I, I want a better life. I don't really know why I'm here. I don't, don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to continue to be doing, I don't want the life I have. I want a better life. I said something, I don't think it was even that well artic articulated to tell you the truth. Cause I was like 20, 21, something like that. So. You know, not too smart at 21. He said, all right. He goes, that's refreshing. Not too many people say that. They usually, you know, you gotta, usually it's an 18 year old university in Canada. You can start when you're about 18 or 19. They have a very clear idea of what they wanna do. And at some point through university, they change their mind because <laughs> they realize they had no idea what they really wanted to do. Anyway, so he said, okay, I'm gonna suggest some courses that you take. And 
I recommend you follow my advice. He said, you should take English composition. And I said, uh, what's that? He goes, it's, it's how to write. I said, well, I know how to write. He goes, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> I've been teaching for a long time, trust me. And no one in high school knows how to write. Uh, the, the best writer we get in a given year uh, has just begun to learn how to write. You don't know how to write. You think you do, but you don't. I was like, oh, okay. And he had a big smile on his face. Like, like he knew something, like he had knowledge I did not have. You know, it was kind of like sensei, you know, <laughs> sensei and a student, right? No, you don't. You don't know how to write. Um, and then he said, you should take uh, English literature. I said, what's that? He, That's a course on how to read. And I said, well, I know how to read. He's like, no, you don't. You don't know how to read. <laughs> Not the kind of stuff you got to read here. You might know how to read, you know, uh, some simple book, but you, you don't really know how to read. There's a, there's a bit of a knack to it. Um, you need to learn how to read. I was like, okay. You're probably right. He goes, trust me, I'm right. Nobody knows how to read. Uh, so I said, okay. And then he said, uh, you should take a philosophy course. It's called Basic Logic. And I said, well, why would I take that? I thought philosophy is like this loosey-goosey, wistful stuff. He said, no, this is a course on logic. It's a course on how to think. You need a course on how to think because you don't know how to think. And I said, I know how to think. He's like, no, you don't. You don't know how to think. You think you do, but you don't. In this course, you're going to learn how to tease out, a, you know, tell a really good argument from a bad argument, make strong arguments, you know, and it's going to help you become a better writer, make a better case for whatever point you're trying to make. I said, okay, I'll take the logic course. Um, and then he said, you should take a, a history course, maybe 20th century history. Um, and I said, uh, well, why would I want to take that? He said, because you don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know anything about the world you live in. This is not a bad one. You live in North America. 20th century history is sort of like, you know, a pretty good foundation for understanding where you are right now, living in Canada in a parliamentary democracy in 2092, or 1992, <laughs> right? Um, so I was like, okay, I guess I can't argue with that. Then he said, uh, you should take a psychology course. I said, well, why would I want to take that? I don't want to be a psychologist. He goes, no, you, you, okay, you don't want to be a psychologist, but you, you do have a mind, right? You have a brain, you have a mind, yeah? Well, you should probably learn about minds and how they work, <laughs> human minds. It would probably help you a lot, both in just finding your way through life, but also dealing with other people, because they all have minds too. I was like, oh, that's a pretty good argument, okay. And then he said, you should take a sociology course. I said, well, why on earth would I want to take that? I hated social studies in high school. Um, and he said, well, it's not social studies. Sociology and social studies aren't the same thing. Um, you live with people, right? Groups of people. You live in a group of people. Yeah. Well, sociology is about groups of people and how they work. You know, when people are in groups, they behave differently than when they're alone. And since you're going to be living, <clears throat> I assume you're not going to be a hermit living in a forest by yourself, since you're going to be living with other people for the rest of your life, you should have a basic understanding of how groups of people work. Um, it's going to help you a lot. I thought, okay, that's not a bad argument either, right? So I did everything this guy said, okay? And I took all those courses in earnest. And unlike my behavior in high school, which I'd learned through the School of Hard Knocks, was bad study habits, I did all my homework, I did. I read everything they told me to read, I showed up for every class, and then everything on, on time, well, some things I'd hand in late and 
thank the professors for an extension, but, and then everything in. And I mean, at the end of that undergraduate that I was working, I had to work during that and I was supporting myself. Um, so it took me you know, from 1992 to 1997 because I was only taking three courses a year for, for a period of that. Um, so I finished with excellent marks and I got into graduate school. My marks were so good that my master's degree was for free. I didn't have to pay anything for it. And I went to one of the top universities in the country, right? And it was all because I listened to that man, right? But 20 minutes of my life, 30 minutes of my life, talking to a stranger. And for whatever reason, 21-year-old Greg listened to that stranger. It was probably the British accent. <laughs> probably thought, you know, he just had that, and the beard and the suit. Maybe it was the gravitas. I don't know. Maybe it was just the look in his face. But I really felt like this guy was trying to help me. He was just being so blunt. And I, I just spent two years doing like awful, awful work being talked to like a stupid person. You know, just like a, a bag of meat, a meat machine. <laughs> That's what I was, right? Um, so I was at the right stage to take advice. And I could tell he was trying to help me. Um, and he was being kind in a kind of tough love sort of way. You don't know how to read, you don't know how to think, you don't know how to write, you don't know anything. <laughs> but he was kind of right. I mean, at some level I knew he was right. <laughs> right. So I listened to him. And, you know, a number of years later I was in one of the best universities in the country and everything was free. Not only was the tuition free, but I got enough money to pay my rent and, you know, buy my food, right? Um, and it just changed my entire life and it re... it just changed who I am. I became a different person. Um, and, you know, I was able to get a good job, have a house, you know, do all that stuff you want to do, right? Um, I attribute a lot of that to, that guy's name was Dr. Michael Overington, that professor's good advice that he gave a complete stranger one day. But the point is, and how this ties back to gardening and solving problems in your garden, is that I began solving, and I had a problem. Right? I don't like where my life is going, and I want it to go. My, my life's going over here, and I, I work with guys that are in their 40s. I was 20, but I work with guys in their 40s and 50s. I saw where they, their life had gone. I didn't want to go there. My life is going this way. I want it to go this way. I have no idea how to get it there. Right? So I began the problem-solving process with humility. I don't know what to do, right? And then I got advice from an expert, right? That guy seemed to know what to do, okay? So I'm going to run through, this isn't a super long podcast today, but I'm going to run through what I think is the best process for solving any garden problem. So you start with humility. You admit that you do not know what to do. And then you begin a process of inquiry, right? Reading, think, reading, researching, and thinking about it, right? And this is a key stage. Inquiry is not asking people on Facebook what you should do, talking to a guru, talking to your friends, talking to your relatives. I mean, you can do all of that, but that's not good inquiry. For me, inquiry is consulting resource consulting sources that are 
curated to some extent. And I've mentioned this many times. Uh, my go-to is to find, to go to agricultural extensions of universities where they take, they disseminate published research into digestible, readable, one, two-page articles about various aspects of garden, gardening and agriculture. They do this to benefit the agriculture industry, farmers that are trying to grow produce, right? But you can also apply it to your garden, okay? So the people writing these articles are not, they're not getting paid for a social, like they're not, their motivation isn't to increase their social media reach, to get more likes, to get more views, right? Their job is to write something however, you know, however often a month, right? To help people in the public solve their problems, right? Or to just to help inform the public. That's their job, just inform, right? They don't get paid more or less on how much they write. They have, a, just, they have a salary and their job is to help people by disseminating information, okay? So their motivations are good, right? And they're writing about things that they have some degree of a background in, right? They've got some sort of, you know, agro-bio background, maybe biochemistry, maybe agriculture, maybe they're soil scientists, that sort of thing, right? They've spent years and years of their life developing a very um, intense, uh, maybe even specialized um, expertise on a particular thing. I remember there was a podcast I did a number of years ago with a guy named Ron Goldie, and it was about garlic. Uh, I, I had a question from a viewer about a garlic problem. I, I basically said, you know, I can't remember what the problem was, but something, something garlic, and I typed the word extension. I just Googled that. Then I found a whole bunch of different articles published through University Agricultural Extensions. And these are all readable. They're not like, like there's journal articles which are long and they're complicated and they use jargonized language and a lot of stats. And unless you're research literate for that sort of thing, they can be... You, you might read it and come to think it means one thing, and it, it takes a certain amount of background to read peer-reviewed journal articles. If you don't have that background, um, you can read them, but you might not fully understand what they're trying to tell you. Um, so it's useful to have something like the Agricultural Extension where they just simplify it. They sort of tell you the conclusions and give you a a more, it's, it's, an, it's not an academic treatment, but they give you an explanation of what's going on that's enough for you to come, make a decision and move on, right? Try something. Um, anyway, I found Ron Goldie. Just, I read a bunch of articles on garlic, garlic, and I really liked the one he wrote, and I sent him an email, and we spent like an hour, an hour talking about garlic, everything about garlic. And it was great, because he'd like written all kinds of stuff on garlic, and he just knew everything he could possibly do, much, much more than me. Right? So by having some contact with him, I improve my garlic knowledge. But he still knows more than me, of course. He spent, like, he's devoted his life to garlic, right? <laughs> right? I mean, he's probably devoted his life to alliums, like that whole family. But anyway, he knew a lot about garlic. Um, so inquiry. And a big part of the inquiry process, aside from reading and researching and, and pouring through all this information, and, and I, I rarely go to YouTube to solve a garden problem. I usually read something published through, <laughs> some flies out here now. Uh, I usually read, right? So you're just gonna get more, you're gonna get more information from reading. I mean, I'm sounding like an old fart here, but you, you are, okay? Um, 
most YouTube videos, they have to be short. You gotta cut a lot of stuff out. They gotta keep moving. You can't ponder, you can't go down into rabbit holes. There's no footnotes, there's no, right? Um, Well-written stuff, that's how it works. That's, that's why I do my, um, my, my articles, right? And once, for those that don't know, I have a, 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 like a column, right? A, a newsletter. Once a week, I write a, around a thousand word uh, essay on some topic related to gardening. You can find that at uh, maritimegardening.substack.com. Um, some of the articles are free. Uh, the vast majority of them are for paid subscribers only. You can pay for a month. I think it's like five bucks. Or for an entire year, it's uh, $30. I'm also writing uh, a book on that. So once a month, I have a new installment on a book I'm writing. Um, but the other articles are just about general questions about gardening. And I can, it's, if you read it, you'll find it's a different... I come at the discussion in a different way than I do in my videos. Right, in the videos, I mean, I'm doing a podcast right now. I've got a piece of paper folded in half, and i got seven points that I want to talk about. And I'm just going all over the place. Uh, so it's spontaneous. I've tried writing out my podcasts, and when I do that, they're terrible and I'm boring. It has to be spontaneous. I have to be. I have, a, I have a guide of topics to discuss, but it has to be off the top of my head, or I find people don't want to listen to it. Um, anyway, with uh, with the Substack page, it can be. I can really think it through, and actually work out a lot of stuff through that writing. Um, so you know, there's a lot of things I go into on the Substack page that I don't go into in my videos because they're technical or they just require a different kind of treatment. Right? I mean, so anyway, uh, maybe give that a try. Um, I, I just decided to do that because I wanted to write um, and I thought it was a good way to get my book done, <laughs> right? And also it's just a way of um, getting around things like YouTube where, I mean, YouTube makes some money, but you just don't know if it's reliable, right? But if you have subscribers that are paying to read what you write, um, it, it sort of creates a base. Um, so anyway, I'll stop talking about that now. <laughs> okay, so back to the process of solving the gardening problem. Humility, right? Important first step. I don't know what to do. I really need to learn, right? I, I don't, I have this problem because I don't know what to do. If I knew what to do, I wouldn't have this problem, right? So I, I, I need to learn. And then the inquiry process, reading, thinking, reading, researching, and thinking, right? And um, for me often, I have a problem in the garden. I, it takes an entire year to fix the problem, right? Because we only have so much time during a growing season. If something fails, like let's say the eggplant don't um, get fully ripe before the first frost, well, I got to wait until next year and do do a better job of growing eggplant because those eggplant are lost, right? So often the thinking part takes place over the entire winter. It's a good thing to think about when you're laying in bed trying to get to sleep. Ah, oh, geez, how do I get eggplant? Is it the variety? Should I have little hoop houses over them? More heat? Should I start the transplants? What do I need to do, you know? Is there some fertilizer? What do I need, right? Um, but once you're done that process, however long you have to do it, then there is action. You actually have to do something. Right? You can't just, I mean, if you've got a problem in your garden, you're watching a plant just fall apart. You've got to do either pull it out and replant, right? Pull it out and replant right away. If the plant's failing, pull it out and plant something else. Maybe there's not enough time left to plant that thing, but you can use that space to grow something that grows quickly, right? So I don't know what's wrong with that, 
but I don't think this is going anywhere good. I don't think, based on everything I've read, I think, the pro I, think I know what the problem is and there's no cure. So this plant's doomed. Well, don't just stand there and watch it go. Pull it out and plant something else that'll be harvestable within the growing season, right? Action, act. I think so many gardeners, they just watch things go to pieces. And they're, oh man, I should do that. I don't know what to do. Maybe it'll get better, you know. If you don't have a strong reason to think your plant's gonna get better, you need to act, <laughs> right? Because you, it's gonna be, at least where I live in Canada, <laughs> at some point, everything's gonna be frozen. And you're not gonna, you know, like your, 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 your growing season is, is limited in time. You only have so much time, right? So you gotta do something before it's all over, right? So action. And then once you've acted, <laughs> The most important thing to do after that is observation and honest observation. Let's say <clears throat> you had a slug problem and you read that putting eggshells around the plant will uh, solve the slug problem because it's a diatomaceous material. Or let's just, just say you bought some diatomaceous um, you know, powder right, and put that around the plant. Um, and then you come out the next day and, you're <laughs> and the plant's covered in slugs. Right. Well, I mean, so you're making the observation that didn't work. And you're like, well, why didn't it work? Did, did it not work because that thing can't work? Or did it not work because there was, there's a particular set of conditions where diatomaceous earth doesn't work, right? Like right now, you see the, 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 the conditions right now, it's a bit damp, right? All the diatomaceous earth in the world would not save a plant from slugs and snails right now. because it doesn't work when it's wet. <laughs> it's gotta be dry. So this is the reason a lot of people are always suggesting I use it in my garden because I have slugs and snails everywhere. Um, and uh, I don't use it because it's always, we get a mist almost every night, right? So when the slugs are out, the diatomaceous earth is, is wet and damp and soft and it doesn't, it just doesn't affect them at all. They just grow right over it and go on with their life, right? Uh, so, you know, you have, so once you've acted and tried your solution, you have to observe what's happening and be honest. Right? Okay, you spent a whole bunch, you spent 20 bucks on Amazon and got a thing of diatomaceous earth and it's not working. Okay, move on, next thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you have to be honest when you're observing, you know, your, your treatment, your solution. You have to be willing to admit that the thing you thought was the solution was wrong, right? And that you still don't know what to do Right? Again, the humility follows you through the entire process. You always have to be willing to say, I don't think I use the... I mean, there, there's problems I've had in my garden that took three years to fix. Because I tried something one year, didn't work. Tried something the next year, didn't work. Tried something the next year, ah, I think I've got the solution. Right? But all that, I didn't keep trying the same thing. Maybe it'll work next year. No, no. Try something different, right? So observation. And then the most important part after your observation is documentation, right? Write down, give yourself, I mean, I don't know, I'm 51, I forget a lot of things. Um, so I find at the end of the gardening season, I like to make a note of everything that went wrong and what I think I should do to make it better. And if there was something I tried that worked, write that, this worked, keep doing that, right? Documentation, observation and documentation. This will make you a better gardener. I, I, I do not subscribe to the green thumb theory. Some people would just have a green thumb. No, no, no. It's, you know, to, to have a really, you know, like me, a really big garden, 
that tends to be a pretty nice garden every year. It takes persistence and work and a willingness to just to learn, a willingness to learn the things you need to learn to solve the problems you have. Okay, so this, this video, this, this podcast is sort of all over the place and I'm, I, hope there, I hope there's a thread in here that, that makes sense to people, okay? <laughs> but I guess the main point is that if you have a problem in your garden, my advice is to really engage in the inquiry process, right? You don't know, you got a problem because you don't know what to do, right? Engage in the inquiry process, learn as much as you can, then try something and see how it works. And if it's not working, try something else, right? And then make notes at the end of the gardening season so next year you don't forget Right, so your, 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 your mind's in it, right? And review those notes in the winter and think about it. Think about it when you're laying in bed, right? Think about it when you're going to sleep, right? Think about your problems and mull them over. And if you have an approach like that, eventually, right, you'll, you'll solve all your problems or, or you might figure out that your problem is unsolvable. I just can't grow that thing here. It's too hard to grow that thing here. You know, if you've got a plant that needs 101, 110 days of excellent sun and you only get a year like that every five years, it's probably a waste of time to try to grow a thing like that, right? You should find another variety that takes less days or maybe just give up on that vegetable altogether. <laughs> you just don't have the right, you know, like Clint Eastwood said in Dirty Harry, man's got to know his limitations, right? Like you got to know what you can't do where you are. You got to know what you can do where you are and you got to know what you can't do where you are. Um, so anyway, I hope you found that interesting. It was a little bit of a free association type thing, but I think it's fun to have these kind of conversations. I hope it helps you with whatever problem you're trying to solve. I'm not, this is not a passive aggressive way of telling my viewers to stop asking me questions. That's not the point. Keep the questions coming. Your questions are the lifeblood of my channel, right? They give me great ideas for videos, great ideas for podcasts, and great ideas for my my weekly column, my articles. Um, it's usually the best, the best stuff I do. Often, there's two reasons I, I write something or make a video. I'm in my garden and I have a great idea, and I just grab my camera gear and start talking. Or someone asks me a question, and I'm like, "That's that's a really good question because <laughs> the answer is not simple, right?" Um, so keep the questions coming. That's not my point, but my point is that you have it in you to to, you know, there's a better way to solve your problems than just going on Facebook, Googling it, using Siri, uh, you know, asking some, some guru, whatever, you know, or talking to a friend or relative. Those are all, I mean, those are all things you can do. And I'm not saying don't do those things, but, you know, write those things down, stick them over here, and then do some reading <laughs> and read some good stuff. Right? I mean, if you, if you can read, if you can read peer-reviewed research published in, you know, peer-reviewed journals and you have that in you and you have the time to do that and you've got that research literacy, you go for it. And you have access to those sources. Um, but really, if you're a backyard gardener, you don't, you don't need to do that, right? You know, the agricultural extension articles, those are the bee's knees. And I wouldn't just read one, right? If you've got a problem, uh, how to deal with slugs right? 
I'd read like five, six, seven. I'd read a bunch of them, okay? And then look at the common, what are they all saying in common? Do they all, like there's some things some of them say that some of them don't say, but what are the things that seem to be the main things they say? And then think about your context. Well, that work here, right? Where is that person? Are they in a desert? Are they in a coastal region, right? Always think about, there's a person giving you a solution. Does that solution translate to your ecology, to your environment? To your growing conditions and so on. So I hope that was interesting. <laughs> if you did please like, share, subscribe. And until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching. Hey, if you want to help support everything I'm doing here, go to Vessies.com to buy whatever you need for your garden this year. And use my coupon code GAVS23 to get free shipping as long as there's a pack of seeds in the order and there's no oversized items in the order. Check out the description box of this video for details. You can buy everything you need from Bessie's. They have seeds, fruit bushes and trees, soil amendments, pest solutions, tools, clothing, and lots of other stuff too. So yeah, if you want to help support everything I'm doing here and they sell something you need, buy it from them using my coupon code. And happy gardening. <music>